Hello, everyone. Welcome to Community Conversations. I'm your host, Roger Colton. Belmont is rightfully proud of its public education. Belmont uh, students, however, Belmont parents, really have uh, choices in their, their education in town, and fewer people are aware of those choices. Today, we're going to talk about one of Belmont's alternative high schools, uh, the Waldorf High School uh, here in Waverly Square. Uh, I have with me today Cedar Oliver, who is a teacher at Belmont's Waldorf High School. And thanks for stopping over. It's always crowded to get into a school day, so I appreciate your time. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, before we really get started today, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What, what's your journey to, uh, uh, to becoming a high school teacher? I actually started teaching high school when I was in high school. I taught computer programming because none of the other te teachers in the school knew how to do it. And uh, taught adult education and young child education. And uh, along the way, ran an international company doing cutting-edge math and science software. Wrote a couple dozen books um, and then returned to full-time education uh, about 20 years ago. Um, so I've been teaching at Waldorf schools, various Waldorf schools, for about 20 years now. And you teach both science and math. I teach science and math, and in the spirit of a small school, I often teach theater. I just got out of a computer programming class today, um, teach various kinds of art, um, wear a lot of hats. That, that's great. And to uh, uh, disclose uh, to our, our listeners here, uh, my spouse, uh, Anne, used to work at the Waldorf High School, which is uh, uh, how I'm familiar with it, uh, perhaps. Uh, can, can you give us a general description on what it means to get a, a Waldorf education? I, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? It's actually the largest um, movement of independent schools in the world. There are about 1,000 Waldorf schools and about 2,000 early childhood programs um, in hundreds of countries around the world. Um, the first one started in Germany in the 19, 1919, um, and they've, there's about 200 in North America. But um, the general idea of Waldorf education is to meet the whole student in a and I use the word holistic has sort of become a buzzword these days, but um, before it was a buzzword, <laughs> um, it started as an education for factory workers in Germany. And the reason they wanted to teach everybody in the factory is because they were, at that point, they were in separate schools according to their religion, and they wanted everybody to be together. So sort of a hallmark of it is educating, it was co-ed, which was rad radical at the time, but educating everyone together and trying to meet um, sort of what's coming to us from the students more than cramming them full of information. Okay, and is there um, a particular kind of student that you look for? Does that question make sense? <laughs> it does make sense. Um, you know, yes and no. The idea of Waldorf education since the very beginning was that it should be an education for everyone um, right. and should be able to serve everyone. When kids come to our school and are thinking about the school and they ask, well, who fits in well here? 
what I always tell them is we're just looking for someone who's genuine, who's not putting on uh, a fake identity to shelter themselves from the world. And if they are doing that, it usually melts away pretty quickly. But really, it's all about being yourself and finding out who you are. I've always thought of the Waldorf High School as having an arts focus. Is that uh, is that wrong? Yeah, one of the things we or is that out of say date, about perhaps? it is we say it's education through the arts. Okay, um, but it's not really education of artists. We're not trying to make people who are going to be become professional artists. It's not like an arts school. It's a, it's comes from the idea that we think all education happens best when you're doing creative work. And so in every class all day long, you're often doing creative work, uh, artistic work, um, drama work, um, computer programming, you know, all, all the different kinds of arts. Um, so it's more education through activity and through creativity um, rather than trying to make you into a professional artist. Okay, I understand that. Do you, do you need to be, do you need to come through the, the Waldorf system in order to uh, be at the Waldorf High School or in order no, to be? Most of our students actually have never known about Waldorf education until they were high school students. Um, we have students from all over Boston, from Brockton and Roxbury out into the suburbs, um, Concord and Acton. Uh, we've had students from the North Shore, um, and they all have very different backgrounds and from many different schools. Um, well, uh, that's interesting. So is the Waldorf High School here in uh, Belmont one of, or is it the only Waldorf High School or one of the few? I guess I had assumed. In Massachusetts? Uh, or in the eastern Massachusetts? Uh, it's the only one in eastern Massachusetts, the only Waldorf High School in eastern Massachusetts. There's one in southern New Hampshire that's a boarding school, and there are... Um, there's one in central western Massachusetts. Okay. And it's a small school, right? It's Seven, very small. 70 students? Very much 90 on purpose, students? yeah. Um, about 50 students, yeah. Okay. And are there advantages and disadvantages? Uh, well, I, I imagine there are both. There are both, but there are mostly advantages. You know, the comparison I always make is I, I spent some of my life living in rural Vermont in a very, very small town. Um, and some of my life living in downtown Boston. And when I lived in rural Vermont, there weren't very many people, but I knew everybody and had many, many friends, and anybody you meet on the street is a friend. And when I lived in Boston, I didn't know anybody in my building. Um, and our school is very much like the rural Vermont setting, is that all the students know all the students, they know all the teachers well, and, it, and they f find that they end up having more friends because they have the whole community of friends instead of in a public school, you tend to carve out your niche of five friends and yes. you know use them to build a wall so that the onslaught of the masses won't uh, won't be as threatening. But. Well, one thing about my experience with my own daughter, and my own daughter is 26, and she did not go to the Waldorf High School. She graduated from Belmont High. Mm -hmm. But she went to a small school for middle school. And one thing that we found was that in a small school, she ended up doing things that she didn't necessarily want to want to do. She never would have defined herself mm -hmm. as being a person who would get up on a drama stage or somebody who would get up and sing a solo, but there weren't other alternatives. And she tried things. She took risks that she wouldn't have taken in a bigger school because in a bigger school, other people would have stepped forward. 
Yeah, I think yeah. that's a huge advantage of a small school because, and and we very much work with that on purpose. I mean, when we give do an all school musical, it's an all school musical. Everybody's dancing, everybody's singing, and some are in the, that's their comfort zone, and some that's really outside their comfort zone. Um, <laughs> but we really try to take every student and nourish what they're best at, but and give them individual opportunities to excel at that, but also challenge them to discover something new and step outside your comfort zone. Go on a camping trip with, you know, all the other seniors and um, do theater on stage. Um, you know, everything that we do, pretty much everybody is doing it. The sports are very egalitarian. We have some excellent athletes and have had some great victories, and we have some that have never played before and uh, have a very inclusive, welcoming experience on the teams. You know. Well, I, w uh, I would think that. Uh, the, we, Ann and I, go to watch Belmont High uh, soccer. And we, uh, we, being Belmont High, have pretty good boys and girls soccer teams. But somebody who isn't, uh, doesn't self-define themselves as a soccer player may never have the opportunity to... Uh, participate it, along with everything that that entails. Yeah. Uh, and I would think that in a smaller school you would. Yes. You wouldn't have to define yourself yeah. uh, as a soccer player or as a musician. Yeah, and a lot of what we do is, is intramurals where we do, I'm, I'm, I do ultimate frisbee, we also do soccer and basketball, even outside of the team sports, so that you can just have some fun learning the game, playing together, kind of like pickup games, um, and it's a more casual atmosphere, and uh, it's just really fun, and it's a nice, safe way for people <laughs> to come into sports and enjoy it without having to be the jock. You know? Yes, yes. Now, I, I'm going to ask your permission to sound like an old fogey for, <laughs> uh, for a minute. Uh, having just turned 65, uh, I have to get that in on, on this program. Um, but it seems like... Um, there would be particular challenges in teaching high school students in that they're old enough to not just soak up what the teachers uh, uh, are trying to teach, but they are more, ch uh, they challenge more they, or they question more. Is that being an old fogey or is that uh, true? I th that is part and parcel of being an adolescent. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. I was asked to reflect recently um, by another Waldorf school, um, how Waldorf alumni do, and, and is there anything about their experience in high school that has affected how, how they are after high school? And on reflecting of 20 years of teaching, I found that the, the young people who challenge the most in exactly the spirit you're talking about, and sometimes it's a wonderful challenge and they're, you know, you're just engaged in this great conversation and sometimes they just don't want to do what you're telling them <laughs> to do or asking them to do. Um, but in both cases, I found that over time, those are the students that actually pretty consistently become the leaders and the award winners and the activists and the humanitarians and do these amazing things when they graduate. And so I really try to cultivate that um, and it's you know adolescence should be a time when you're discovering your own impulses and passions and what you're great at and what you're meant to do in the world not necessarily a time for learning to be an obedient pawn in the game you know I mean you have to learn to adjust yourself to the world but 
I also maybe hold a little bit of that spirit of asking the world to adjust to you. <laughs> well, that, that's interesting because I always wonder. Our daughter's been out of school, for, out of high school for a while. She's been out of college for a while. But um, I always wonder what what draws a high school teacher to teaching high school. I mean, you have to choose to teach high school kids yeah. as opposed to uh, uh, younger uh, kids. Um, and you, you must bring a passion to working with the kids at the time that uh, they're willing to say, well, maybe the world doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, that I do m- love that. And the, you know, the other thing about teaching high school that I, I really, really love is it's a time when they're intellect and their passions and their full adult capabilities are are waking up and in every class you know the way to meet those kids is to kind of go back to fundamentals so i just feel like every day i learn something new about maybe a topic i've taught 20 times but i haven't taught it to this particular student and that particular student and you're you're going back to the fundamentals, and each student always asks something different about it or has a different <laughs> understanding, and that's just a really exciting time of life to to work with. Well, I'm hearing actually a a message from you that is different from what I came in here uh, thinking. I, I was going to ask you um, whether in high school the role of a high school is more to prepare students for higher education or post-high school education or whether it's more to prepare students to go into the workplace. And I'm hearing you talk even broader than that. And you're, you're working with students to, I'm not sure how to put it, prepare them for life or to prepare them to be responsible, uh, participatory adults? Well, I think there's a fundamental dichotomy in education. There's sort of two ways to look at education. And one way is from the outside in. And what I mean by that is that there's something that the students are lacking that we as teachers and as a community and as a society need to to instill or put into them. Some skills, some knowledge, some morals, all these things. Um, The other way to look at education, which is much more where I'm coming from and I think where the Waldorf schools in general are coming from, is more of removing obstacles. It's the idea that students are bringing with them something that the world needs. And they are fully capable of developing and growing and becoming brilliant and doing their thing. And our job really is, and there's plenty of knowledge. I mean, we don't need to stuff them full of knowledge. They're they're already overstuffed and indigested with knowledge these days, right? Um, But what we need to do is sort of remove the obstacles to that healthy, full, vibrant, passionate development of who they are um, and discover who they are. And so it's more about listening to them and pulling out of them what's what that individual person is meant to bring than coming with my idea of who they should be and imposing And what they them. should know. And what they should know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it seems like in my day job, and this isn't my day job, but in my day job, I constantly run across the uh, uh, the need of people in the private sector who say, what we need from you is we need uh, 
an amount of creativity. We need you to think up the idea that has never been thought up. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like kids need to be, I don't know if taught is the right word, trained. How does one <laughs> well, instill creativity? That's, that's it. You know, there's a very famous quote of that wisdom cannot be instilled. Um, and wisdom is what we're going after. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, Roger, about um, preparation. You know, how do you prepare for an incredibly rapidly changing world where the number one thing that qualifies you for most jobs is thinking on your feet and being agile and being creative? You don't prepare for that by memorizing knowledge or even cementing some key skills. Uh, and, And it's not really about training or even teaching. It's about... Allowing? Educare, the education means pulling out. It means it, it means drawing out someone's creativity and practicing. And the only way you can really prepare for something is to do it. And so you have to engage with the world and with these activities that you want to become good at, especially creative thinking, thinking out of the box. Um, and, and when I think of creativity, and perhaps I'm projecting myself... Uh, onto education, but I think of risk, t- it seems like creativity and risk taking go hand in hand. You Absolutely. have to be willing to try, well, A, you have to be willing to try something you've never done mm-hmm. and not do it well. And B, you have to be willing to try something that may not work. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I brought a quote in that I have to tell, it's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, and it picks up my idea of what education is about. I want to get your reaction. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt said it back in 1940. We cannot always build the future for our youth, but we can always build our youth for the future. Yeah, wonderful quote. (laughs) And maybe the next level of that is to realize that we can help our youth build themselves. You know, it's not us that's building them. And this is really a fundamental thing from my point of view, if you're a young person, as a teacher, as a mentor, as an adult guiding you, I'm not doing the building. That young person is doing the building. Yes. And the art of being an educator is the art of nourishing and encouraging and facilitating that um, activity of the student. It's not about the activity of the teacher and what content you're bringing or even what exercises you're bringing. It's it's more about listening than about telling. And does Waldorf differ from, uh, I'm not asking you to critique uh, or criticize Belmont High, but does a Waldorf education differ from a Belmont High education in that regard? Or is everybody doing it doing the same thing, only Belmont High is doing it with twelve or 1,300 kids and Waldorf is doing it with 50. Well, I think what you always find with any education in any school or any context is so much depends on the individual teacher. And I know some of the teachers at Belmont High, and there are certainly teachers that are would agree with everything I've said and are bringing yes. an extraordinary education to their kids. And there's other teachers who have a different point of view and are maybe meeting different needs of the kids. Um, I think what's pretty consistent in the Waldorf schools is that we do have an explicit, clear sort of philosophy of education that we're working from. And so all the teachers are sort of on the same 
page, and that's a little bit different. It also does help to have a class of, you know, 10 students instead of a class of you know, 25 or 30 or whatever students. Although, right. You know, I, I also teach classes with the whole school. I teach a movement class where we all, the whole school moves together, and that's, you know, a large class, but then it has a certain magic, too. Well, okay, I, I'd like to change uh, uh, roads just a little bit here. Um, critical thinking seems to be a buzzword that mm -hmm. I hear a lot. Uh, people don't want students to memorize uh, information, but we're trying to teach them critical thinking. Is it a buzzword or is that a real process? Well, it's, it's a buzzword I'm not particularly fond of because I'm not sure, at least my students, I'm sure, not sure what they really need to develop is being more critical of the world. They're already pretty critical as adolescents. Okay. Um, and that, you know, it's, the phrase reminds me of cynical thinking, which okay. is rampant as a, as a disease in our culture, right? Um, you know, the, the buzzword in Waldorf circles is living thinking. And what we mean by that is that we're trying to, you've, you want a strong mind and a strong intellect, and you want a strong heart, and you want to have real meaning and purpose and compassion and responsibility. And the number one thing that you need to do in adolescence is develop the connection between those two um, so that neither one is running off rampant without the other um, because that's a very dangerous thing when, okay. when someone's intellect is disconnected from their sense of morality and responsibility and feeling and compassion. Now, to try to put this all together, uh, we've talked about a number of different things. Uh, can you give us some insight into a, a typical day? I, how do we move this from a, or how do you, as a teacher, <laughs> move this? Or maybe it would be a we. It's a parent-teacher-student mm -hmm. uh, partnership. Uh, but how do we move it out of the realm of conversation into a daily class routine. Mm -hmm. So that we start each day together, um, and we each class, like say the eleventh grade or the tenth grade. The eleventh grade is all together, and they're taking these month-long courses that are very focused on a particular aspect of a topic. And the topics are chosen to sort of meet them developmentally. So, for example, I just did a course called Nature of Matter, which was gets into atomic chemistry, but it traces it all the way back from the Greek roots through alchemy. We did some alchemy into modern chemistry in Dalton. And so you're doing the history interwoven with the science, and it's an hour and a half to two hours, very intensive. You're often moving. I mean, of course, we're doing labs and things. Um, every course that we do for these month-long courses includes a field trip where we're out in the world oh. or, or a day where we're doing an intensive lab or activity for most of the day. Um, so that's the first thing in the morning, and it's really, we call it the main lesson because it's kind of the meat and potatoes of, of what we're doing working with the kids. And we have that whole class together working with them socially and collaboratively. They're often doing collaborative projects as well as individual projects. Then um, after that, there's a little bit of a break, and, and then they go into sort of more traditional semester-long or year-long courses where they might be taking math or English or Spanish or a number of different courses. Fine arts is also on that list for every student. Um, and, um, and then in the afternoons, a lot of their focus is on the electives. We have an all-school course. We have all-school movement in the middle of the day, so there's a little bit of a breathing 
um, to it. Um, and the electives are often wide-ranging. They can take about five electives during over the course of the year um, in trimesters. And I just this afternoon got out of an elective where I was teaching computer programming. Um, uh -huh. But there are also arts and crafts electives. There's drama electives. There's uh, wilderness electives. Uh, we have a partnership with Codman Farm where students go and work at Codman Farm in Lincoln. Um, uh, quite a few different things. And I guess one thing I would put in as a little plug of how we do our electives that connects to something you said earlier is that in many other schools with a long list of electives, when you get into it and you get all the requirements down, you have room for one elective. And in the spirit of everybody does everything, here you can take five electives a year. And so you actually get to do a lot of these different things, some uh -huh. of which are your favorite thing that you really want to master and some of which are outside your comfort zone. That's great. We are out of time. Um, I need to remind our listeners that this podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member in that the content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. We've been speaking today with Cedar Oliver, who is a science and math teacher at the, uh, the Waldorf High School here in Belmont. Although I say Waldorf High School here in Belmont, it, it serves the eastern Massachusetts uh, uh, area or eastern Massachusetts region. Uh, we're, we're proud of our high school. We're proud of our education here in Belmont, but we do have alternatives. Uh, uh, here in Belmont, and the Waldorf High School is one of those. Uh, uh, thank you for stopping over thank uh, you very this much. afternoon. Uh, and I would like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in to Community Conversations. You can access Community Conversations by streaming it online uh, at belmontmedia.org and searching for the BMC Podcast Network you can also find Community Conversations uh, on iTunes by searching for the BMC Podcast Network. You've been listening to Community Conversa Conversations. I'm your host, Roger Colton. I'll talk to you again next time.